back into the Nick Bob podcast, and here we go. I have let the dust settle a little bit on the Creighton basketball season. I am taping this. It is Monday afternoon. It is April 3rd. The national championship game is tonight. UConn and San Diego State going to battle for it all. By the time you listen to us, you'll do this, you'll probably know who won the game. Still part of me that feels like Creighton should, could and should be in this game, but i got to turn the page, and the page we are turning to is – Putting a bow on the Creighton Blue Jays season. This is a 2022-2023 Creighton basketball season in review. Lots to unpack here, so let's get to it. So, you know, trying to sum up and review this season as I sat down to do this is kind of challenging because you just you, you don't even know where to begin. I mean, tons of hype, tons of lofty, huge expectations for this group at the beginning of the season, preseason top 10 team, dark horse final four pick for a lot of people, all that. And what is interesting to me is this team, this Creighton team, they started hyped and ended the season where I think everyone thought they would, right? Standing there in the Elite Eight with a chance to potentially go to the final four. But how they got there, the path, the journey was quite a bit different than what most people were expecting, you know? So it's weird. You sit there. If you just saw the beginning of the end, be like preseason top 10 team, finish the season, the game was tied with 1.8 seconds left in the Elite Eight. They were literally like two seconds away from going to the Final Four. You'd go, oh, so everything went right as everyone thought it would. You're like, well, not completely like everyone thought it would. Right? I mean, at one point, this team, this Creighton team at one point, lost six games in a row. Six in a row. I mean, to the point where some people were wondering, like, is this team going to miss the NCAA tournament? I mean, when they were sitting there at six and six, it was like, what? Is this team going to miss the tournament? So this season was a roller coaster in a lot of ways, even though... Again, where this team ended up was kind of where a lot of people thought they would be before the season began. So Creighton finished the year 24-13. and 13. They went 14-6 and six in the Big East Conference, finished third in the league. Didn't win the regular season title, which they were picked to, to win. Marquette captured that crown. The Blue Jays got a sixth seed in the NCAA tournament and, of course, made it to the Elite Eight and were about as close as you can get to the Final Four without getting there as anybody. Now, Creighton's final AP ranking is unknown as I'm taping this. They'll, they'll definitely be ranked. Uh, Creighton finished the season as I'm taping this. I'm on KenPom.com. Creighton is ranked 12th at KenPom, highest finish they've ever had. And, you know, you look at that, those are pretty decent bullet points for Creighton when you're kind of just hammering through the broad things of what they did. But like we've said, the season was a bit of a roller coaster. And... The reason for it was a roller coaster was because of two main things. If you just really kind of zoom back and th- zoom out and think back, there are two reasons this season was a ma- was a roller coaster, and they were both early in the year. The first reason was because Ryan Kalkbrenner got mono. That was by far the biggest issue with this year. The first nine games of the season that Ryan Kalkbrenner he played in the first nine of the uh, of the year, but he was sick. And quite frankly, wasn't even close to 100%. I remember doing TV for the first couple of games, the St. Thomas game and the opener and all this stuff. And I just remember looking at Kalkbrenner 
and thinking to myself, what? He seems off to me. Something doesn't seem right. To the point where I would even, I remember driving home after a, a game early. It might have been the third game of the year. I, even though he scored, he was scoring well early against Holy Cross. He he scored the ball. You know, looking at it, Kluckbrenner didn't miss a shot. Nine for nine, 22 points. But I just felt like his his lateral mobility and impact defensively, he just didn't look right to me. And so it was not surprising for him to ultimately get diagnosed with mono. I was like, oh, that makes complete sense. But first nine games of the year, he was sick and wasn't 100%. Creighton went nine, it went six and three. They started six and zero, oh, but then lost three in a row. And then Kalkbrenner was officially diagnosed with mono and missed three games with mono. And Creighton lost all three games. And now Creighton had lost six in a row. And for a little bit, the sky was absolutely falling in Omaha. So that was reason number one, the roller coaster got rolling. And reason number two was because of the brutally hard and stupid non-conference schedule. Creighton played a ridiculously hard non-con schedule. I mean, fifth toughest non-conference streak of the schedule in the country. You go to Maui, you play Texas Tech, Arkansas, and Arizona. You then play at Texas. Then you're home to Nebraska. Then you have two neutral site games in Vegas versus BYU and Arizona State. Arizona State obviously went to the NCAA tournament, was a was this close to knocking off TCU and getting to the second round of the NCAA tournament. And on top of the tough games that I just laid out in the non-con, Creighton also rarely played at home in the non-con. They couldn't enjoy their incredible home court advantage that they have. We've talked about this, but it's a seasonal review, so you got to recap it all. From November 17th to December 22nd, Creighton only played one home game. Ridiculous. Really think about that. From November 17th to December 22nd, so over a calendar month, Creighton only played at home one time. I think this tough schedule and lack of home games it wore Creighton out. And when you combine that with Kalkbrenner's mono, you got yourself a problem that led to the six-game losing streak and major panic. Those two things got Creighton into a little bit of a hole and got everybody into a little bit of a panic from the outside looking in. But Creighton obviously climbed their way out of that hole and ended up finishing the season strong going deeper than any Creighton team had ever gone in the NCAA tournament. But the the reason that this thing got off to the roller coaster start that it did was because of those two things. Kalkbrenner got mono, and Creighton played a ridiculously hard and stupid schedule in the, in the non-con. One home game in over a calendar month. I mean, come on. So when you think about the roller coaster nature of it, like th- those are the two prevailing reasons. But as so with this season recap, one thing I decided to do, I was like, well, I mean, you know what I'm going to do? I've told you guys my process. I like to write out all my pods. I have a little Microsoft Word document in front of me. I write them out in bullet points and full. I mean, I, I write it all out. And I decided, I was like, let me pull up my season preview notes for the podcast I recorded for the season, Creighton season preview pod. And I was like, oh, yeah, okay. If you remember listening to that pod, I wrote down. Nine deciding factors for Creighton's season. 
Nine deciding factors for creating season. So how about this? Let's just go through those nine things of how I saw what was important for this group heading into the year and then kind of look to see how it shook out. Again, I wrote this and recorded it before the season started. Nine factors that were going to decide Creighton's season. Number one, I wrote down, handle the hype, handle being a target, handle the pressure. Because of all the, the lofty expectations put on this group. I thought Creighton did okay with this for the most part. It's hard because, you know, during that six-game losing streak, it was tough to get a sense of how much it was all tied to Kalkbrenner and how much of it was maybe those guys, the, the, the Creighton team was adjusting to the pressure and the hype and the target and all those sorts of things. I don't know. Like, I, I think the truth is it mostly was Ryan Kalkbrenner, but though there, there is some adjusting to being the hunted, right? I, I will say this. I didn't feel... Like when I was sitting in Vegas and calling the games, BYU and Arizona State, or seeing the calling the Nebraska game and all stuff, I don't know if I felt the hunger and just the you from this team early on, to be honest. And I don't know if that was just taking a little bit for these guys to gel and come together. Some of it's probably Kalkbrenner and just the domino effect of him not being at full strength or not being out there. But I definitely felt as the season progressed, this group had that palpable hunger, that collective find a way. So I thought they did okay with this, but I think there was an adjustment period for handling the high, handling the height, handling the pressure, handling that target on their back. So I thought they did okay with this. Factor number two I wrote down was leadership. I was worried about who on this group is going to step up and lead. I thought this was something that improved as the season progressed, mainly because this group went through some major adversity together with that six-game losing streak. But what's what's funny is, as we're sitting here with the season in the books, I still don't quite know who was the absolute leader. I would probably say Shireman and Farabello were the, I would say those guys. But I think this team ended up being the kind of the, – the leadership of this group ended up being what Greg McDermott thought it was when I asked him at the start of the year, and he said it was kind of a leadership by committee. It, was ev- it wasn't just one dude. It was everybody. But I did think this took a little bit of time for them to find it. You know, like two years ago, it was like Ryan Hawkins was the leader just from the jump. They, I don't know if they had that kind of a guy. Took him a little bit. Took him a little bit. And sometimes you got to go through some tough times to figure out who, who who you are, what you're about, and that who being kind of the kind of the collective who. Factor number three I wrote down was sacrificing lots of talented dudes that want and deserve the ball. I was kind of worried about, you know, Kalkbrenner needs his touches. Trey Alexander's coming back after finishing the season strong, and now Nemhard's going to be on the floor with him as a, a guy that that has the ball in his hands a lot as the point guard. You know, Kaluma finished the year strong a year ago, and he, he's got NBA aspirations and wants to get his. Baylor Shireman transferred in from, you know, South Dakota State and could have gone anywhere, and he chose to go to Creighton. He wants to get his too, right? Like, what was all that going to look like? And you know what? I think Creighton nailed this. 
I don't know how you guys felt, but I never once felt like there was a problem or issue with sharing the sugar, spreading the wealth, or with guys getting the ball enough and getting shots enough. Sure, were there times where you maybe wish you could have gotten Alexander the ball a little more or Shireman a few more shots or Kalkbrenner a few more touches? Yeah, but that's how you kind of feel about all great players. But I think this group all bought into sharing it, and I think they all bought into the the understanding that it could be someone different each night. I mean, the NCAA tournament is kind of a perfect example of that. Kalkbrenner, 30 points against NC State. Nemhard, 31 points against Baylor. Shireman took over the the Princeton game in the Sweet 16. Trey Alexander had moments in 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 a lot of these those different games. They all led the way at different times. So I thought this was just fine. I thought they handled this well. The fourth factor I wrote down was turnovers. Because two years ago, last year, however you want to phrase it, Creighton had a major issue with taking care of the ball. Last year, Creighton turned it over on 20% of their possessions, which ranked 302nd in the country. This year, statistically, they were they were much better. They finished 70th in the country in turnover percentage. But overall, I will say this, the turnover bug would pop up and bite this team at times. There were games, there were moments, there were stretches where they'd struggle to handle physical activity on the ball. San Diego State game in the Elite Eight, Marquette game at home in late February in the second half, Xavier in the semifinals of the Big East Tournament, like, there were moments this team struggled to, to deal with ball pressure and handling it. So, I would say it's a mixed. that was a mixed bag at times. I thought Nemhard really improved in this area, which was big. But overall, I, I, I thought this was a little up and down. This was a little up and down. And I felt like when it was down, it was really down and in big spots and big moments. Fifth factor I wrote down was three-point shooting. It, it remains, like, again, last year is a big issue. Creighton ranked 305th in the country in three-point percentage. The, the team with Hawkins and Alex O'Connell and, and all the, 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 the freshmen that from last year, this team really struggled to make threes. This year, much better in terms of three-point percentage. They ranked 99th in the country in three-point percentage in terms of an improved percentage. But, man, in my opinion, man, this team's boom or bust inconsistent shooting really hurt them. I think it really hurt them. I still, like, I I even though it's just, I I think it's, it's a lot of Creighton's reputation that gets you, gets, gets it hard to kind of like really see it for what it is. But there were so many times where you just assume because they got Creighton uniforms on, they all can shoot it. And you're, it's like, can they? Can this team make – can they? Are they good shooters? Because they were capable at times. They could have games where they'd hit 11, 12, 14 threes, right? I mean, did it against Baylor in the NCAA tournament. But they could also have games where they couldn't throw it in the ocean where ice cold. Two for 17 against San Diego State. Only made five against NC State. And a couple of those were late. Like, they could have – they struggled against Nebraska at home from three. They could be way off from three as well. And I think this hurt the team. Now, again, it's a hard thing to argue because the stats suggest they were okay from three, but I thought this team was a, was 
an average shooting team. And I think it was a problem for, for Creighton. Outside of Shireman and Trey Alexander, nobody shot it well from three in terms of, sure, Mason Miller had, had stretches. He, just, you know, he didn't play enough for it to really be a huge factor. I mean, Shireman had a down year for his standard shooting the ball coming from, from South Dakota State. Francisco Farabello really never got it going all year for a guy that was a career, you know, high 30% three-point shooter. I think this was a big problem for Creighton, especially because they're still a team that's built to take and make a lot of threes. That's a big part of their offense. And I thought this was a little boomer bust. And I think some of it, it being kind of like the inconsistencies with this group at times, I think could be traced back to that. They could have games where they just really struggle to make shots. So I thought that I thought this was still wasn't great, even though statistically, percentage wise, it looks like it was better. Sometimes numbers, you know, they say numbers don't lie. It's like eh, sometimes they they're a little misleading. They can be a little mis- misleading. Is that fair? I would say that's fair. Sixth factor I wrote down was pace. Get back to it. That was something Greg McDermott talked about, trying to get back to playing fast, really screaming up and down the floor to the, you know, the Doug McDermott days, the Maurice Watson days, the, the Marcus Zagorowski, Tyson Alexander, Ballock days, like wanted to get back to flying up and down the floor. And I would say this was up and down too. The Ken Palm tempo numbers are similar to, the, to what they were last year. I always felt like I wanted this team to play faster. Like, I thought on paper that this team was going to be a very good up-tempo, open-floor type of team. You just think about it. It's like Nemhard's really fast with the ball. Trey Alexander, he can handle it and initiate. He's also good at finding threes early in a possession. Baylor Shireman's an outstanding open-floor passer. Kaluma's good in space. Kalkbrenner can really run the floor and finish for a big guy. I felt like on paper, this had the makings of like a good open floor, fast break, up-tempo team. And it just was very up and down. And this is where I think Creighton's bench and lack of depth really hurt him because I think the starters got tired. And I also wonder if subconsciously those starters paced themselves a little bit. You know, playing fast and running every time is hard. Wears you out. And so I always wanted them to run more, and I think they were capable in the open floor. It just, they kind of were inconsistent when they would do it. So I thought this was okay. Seventh thing I wrote down was manage depth. <laughs> manage depth. You would think I wrote this down, you're like, oh, manage the lack of depth. I was like, no, no, no. What I meant when I wrote this was manage all the great players you have. Manage like manage it. It's going to be hard. I don't think I could have been more wrong about something than I was about Creighton's depth this year. Now, to be fair, a lot of it I was doing was echoing Greg McDermott. Greg McDermott told me in his in the preview pod that he thought this was going to be the deepest team he ever had. And hearing that, based on the practices I saw, I thought, okay, starting five, awesome. And then I thought Farabello, Sharif Mitchell, Ben Stoltzberg, Fred King, Mason Miller, like I thought those guys would make a big impact. And they just didn't. Now, some of this was that ridiculously hard schedule and not able to cultivate some important minutes in the non-con for those guys. But this was a big problem this year. A big problem. Maybe it was arguably their biggest issue. The lack of depth, the lack of bench production was bad. I mean, Creighton has as good of a starting five as anyone in the country. And they dropped off bad when they went to the bench this year. In some games, they couldn't. Some games they couldn't even survive 
with bench guys out there. The Nick Bob Podcast is powered by Runza. You know, there are a lot of ways to, to greet someone. Hey, hi, hello, what's up? Another way is, what's popping? Well, here's the thing. That greeting has taken on a new meaning now because the answer to what's popping is now Runza's new popcorn chicken. That's what's popping. Runza's new popcorn chicken is amazing. Little bite-sized, delicious, all-white meat chicken that make any day better immediately. I love them. My wife loves them. My kids cannot get enough. Two-year-old Mac, six-year-old Mava are constantly wanting to get it popping. Great for a snack, great for a meal. Pair them with the best crinkle fries on planet Earth, and you are set. All I got to say is you need to get out to a Runza location nearest you and get it popping. What's so hard to understand about that? Get it popping with Runza's all-new popcorn chicken. Runza makes it all better. Sharif Mitchell struggled. Farabella struggled to shoot it consistently. Frederick King, was he was a little up and down like, a, like you would expect from a freshman. Mason Miller shot it well, but, you know, he, he struggled on defense at times and people would attack him. And I just The lack of bench production was a huge problem and weakness for this team. So managed depth ended up being the, the opposite of what I thought it would be and, and just couldn't cultivate any depth. The eighth thing I wrote down was recapture the defensive identity, and they definitely did this. Last year, Creighton ranked 19th at Ken Palm in terms of defensive efficiency rankings in the country. This year, Creighton was even better. They Creighton finished 14th at Kempom defensive efficiency in the country. Once Ryan Kalkbrenner got his legs back, got his health back, this team's defense took off. Kalkbrenner won the Big East Defensive Player of the Year again, and this ended up being Greg McDermott's best statistical defense he's ever had. Where this team was really good was obviously Kalkbrenner protecting and altering shots at the rim. But they were great at keeping teams off the free throw line. They're so good at this. I love that this is a part of how Greg McDermott coaches. If I ever ran a program, if I was a college coach, playing defense without fouling would be a huge emphasis of mine. And that's why I love that McDermott does this. Creighton finished third in the country in fewest fouls per game at about 13 fouls a game. Creighton just didn't foul, didn't put people at the free throw line. They were also really, really good for the most part, on the defensive glass, they were 13th best in the country in offensive rebound percentage given up, 25th in two-point field goal percentage defense. And this team was really good at following a game plan and getting teams to take shots they didn't want to take, which oftentimes was tough contested mid-range twos. Their whole plan is just kind of like keep teams off the free throw line, keep them off the three-point line, and force them into mid-range twos. That's how they build everything. And they were pretty good at executing that. And again, I've talked about this. It's weird. You watch Creighton's team. You watch them defensively. Like I'm looking at their, their defensive numbers right now. Do you realize Creighton ranks 359th in the country in turnover percentage? 359th on Ken Pop. Like that's out of 363 teams. So basically, Creighton is almost dead last in forcing turnovers. And I think that makes it hard for people to sink their teeth into how or why this team's so good defensively. It's like they're not disruptive. They don't turn you over. 
but they just slowly get you to take shots you don't want to take. And Kalkbrenner just kind of fucks you up at the rim. It's He's hard to score on at the rim. So it's a, it's a bizarre team to sink your teeth into as you're watching them because they don't jump off the floor and off the TV screen as like a just a menacing defense. But they slowly kind of just grind you out. But this team absolutely found that defensive mojo again, which was amazing to see. And the ninth factor I wrote down was health. This team had been bit by the injury bug for prominent, important players for what felt like every year for the past 10 years, right? 10, 15 years. So obviously heading into the year, you felt like health was going to be important. And outside of Ryan Kalkbrenner's mono, this team was pretty healthy. What's amazing is you look at Alexander, Nemhard, Shireman, Kaluma, you realize none of them missed a game. They all started and played in every game. That's, that's pretty pretty impressive and pretty good. Again, other than Kalkbrenner's mono, which ended up being a big killer. So even though for the most part this team stayed healthy, that that little bit that they got bit by the injury or I guess illness bug in this case, it ended up hurting them a lot. Kalkbrenner missing three games, not being 100% for the first nine games of the year really hurt. So that health factor was good for the most part, but unfortunately where it was bad was their MVP Kalkbrenner was the one who got sidelined and wasn't 100%. So kind of mix of both good and bad with this. So there you go, kind of a kind of fun to revisit the the nine factors. Kind of again, mixed bag with that. Kind of maybe check checked the box on like a ha- little over half of them probably. Kind of fun to revisit. All right, kind of rapid fire stuff here just going through a handful of things. I wrote down best or most memorable games of this season. Obviously, Arkansas at the Maui Invitational. Unbelievable game. Still still one of the best games I saw all year. Unbelievable environment. Unbelievably well-played game. High-level dudes on the floor playing at a really high level. I thought the home wins this year against Villanova, UConn, and Xavier were all great environments and great wins. Villanova had to grind out a tough, hard-fought win. UConn at home really battled a team that now has got a chance to win the national title and beat them. Xavier, remember it was the pink out, just controlled Sule Boom, ran away from the X-Men in the second half. I thought the performance against Villanova in the quarterfinals of the Big East tournament was one of the best, if not the best, performance from the team. It was a surging Villanova squad, hung 87 on them. I I thought, and this is kind of a forgotten, it's, it's not a game people would talk about, but I thought Creighton's second half on the road at Seton Hall was, was really good. That was a Seton Hall team that was fighting on the bubble for its NCAA tournament lives. And I actually thought they were playing well. And man, did Creighton take it to another level with toughness down the stretch of, of that game. But I, I, that game stuck out to me. 
And then obviously the Baylor win in the second round of the NCAA tournament. Start to finish, incredible performance. Made 11 threes. Nemhard had 31. Big time game. Those are some of the you know, best, best moments, best games. Frustrating games or frustrating moments this season. The first one you got to write down is losing to Nebraska at home. Creighton had won 13 straight regular season games against Nebraska at home. Let me repeat that. Creighton had won 13 straight regular season home games in Omaha against Nebraska. And obviously that streak was snapped and snapped emphatically. Nebraska came in and kind of just dogged the Blue Jays, outplayed them, out-toughed them, flew around, were the more connected, tougher team. That was a frustrating moment. I'd have to put down, and maybe this is because I was there, but the two losses in Vegas, man, like to lose both those games on the last possession to Arizona State and to BYU, even though Creighton was without Kalkbrenner, things felt kind of dire after these losses. I wrote down both Marquette losses at Marquette. This was the sixth straight loss to open the in December. It was to open the Big East play, open Big East play, and was the sixth straight loss. And man, Creighton just didn't. Creighton didn't even look like an NCAA tournament team that night. And then the Marquette loss at home was a really disappointing loss. Late February, Creighton could have taken control of the Big East race. They let a ten point lead slip away. Got thoroughly outplayed in the second half at home. And then, of course, the final foul call against Ryan Nemhard against San Diego State in the Elite Eight. That is a call in a moment that will live on in the world of pain, infamy, infamy for, for Creighton in a long time. You know, like tie game, 1.8 seconds left, foul, shaky call, had to sit and watch Darian Trammell make, make a free throw to go to the Final Four while you were getting sent home. Brutal. Just brutal. So those are some of the the frustrating, tough moments. The Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors, and I want to talk to you guys about energy efficiency. And if you go onto Pella's website right now, you look at it, and how about this? One, two, three, four, five different types of windows or doors by Pella won the Energy Star 2020 Most Energy Efficient Award. That's big-time stuff right there. And they achieved that in a couple of waves. They got insulated glass, which slows the heat transfer, keeping your home at a more comfortable temperature. They got types of low-E glass, which is a glass coating that has been optimized for your climate. They got triple pane glass, which you can upgrade to for increased insulating airspace. And within all of that, one of the keys is proper installation, which is key for window and doors to perform at their best. And you know the Pella experts are excellent at that. Bottom line, energy efficiency matters in making your home more comfortable. And Pella windows and doors are at the top of the line when it comes to energy efficiency. Check them out online, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. Couple other things. How about how good this team was at the free throw line? You know, the, just the free throw line in Jefferson. I told you about their their ability to keep teams off the line. They're great at playing defense without fouling and not putting them at the line. But then, how about how well this team shot the ball from the free throw line? Finished twelfth in the country in free throw percentage at seventy eight percent as a team in the NCAA tournament. They were unbelievable from the line. That was was pretty amazing to see. What was, what was odd about this year's team was they were not very good in close games. They were really good a year ago in close games, which doesn't make a lot of sense because you figured a lot of freshmen and newcomers would have struggled. In clo- no, quite the opposite. But this year, they struggled. 
And it's hard to put a finger on exactly what the deal was, but this team struggled in close games. Creighton finished 3-7 and seven in games decided by five points or less. And I could have it be 3-8 and eight if you count the double overtime loss at Providence. Now, the final ended up being an eight-point loss, but obviously if you're in double overtime, it's a close game. But you get my point. It's just one of those things, man. If you think if think if if this think if this team would have been good in close games, and if Ryan Kalkbrenner wouldn't have had mono. Whoa. And I'm not saying say you go ten and zero in games by five points or less, but say Kalkbrenner doesn't get hurt or doesn't get sick, and this team's instead of three and seven in games by five points or less, they're six and four, seven and three. Man. Whoa, this this game, this season could have been wowza. Season MVP, got to give it to Ryan Kalkbrenner. 15.9 points per game, so almost 16 points per game, six rebounds, 2.1 blocks per game, shot 69% from the floor and 79% from the free throw line. Big East Defensive Player of the Year, first team all Big East, had 30 points in Creighton's first round win over NC State. What a stud. What a year. Clearly showed that he was Creighton's most valuable player because you saw what he was like with him out, and you saw what he was what this team was like when he was 100 percent Most improved, easy choice, Trey Alexander. You could kind of feel this one coming with how he finished his freshman year, but to improve as a shooter the way he did, going from 28% from three to 40% from three, 41%. That's hard to do, and he and he and he did it. He took he took way more threes, but thirteen points per game, four rebounds a game, eighty two percent from the line. Easy choice for most improved. Easy choice. Final final thought with 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 this team as I I kind of wrap this up. I'll always remember this Creighton team. I mean, first of all, because they made it further than any Creighton team had ever made it before. But I remember, I, I remember it was, uh, I remember being emotional watching that 2021 team go to the Sweet 16. Remember it was, it was during COVID, obviously couldn't be with the team. And I was in a, the basement studio of 1620 Zone with John Bishop watching it on a monitor. And I remember being emotional watching that group, Zagorowski, Ballock, Jefferson, Mahoney, Christian Bishop, watching that group go to the Sweet 16 just because That had been a a monkey on Creighton's back for forever. And I I think about that, and then I think about that to to watch this Creighton group soar past the Sweet 16 and be in the Elite Eight and be a play away from the Final Four is just so incredible to see. This was the most hyped Creighton team in my lifetime. Preseason top 10 team, all sorts of hype. People talking about Final Four. Some The team was talking about national championship. And even though this team went through some bumps in the road, they lived up to the hype with how they finished. They were one second away from the Final Four. And you know what? What is fun about sports? You know, in term, from the outside looking in, from a fan perspective, or even someone covering the team. You know what's fun is when you get to watch a team, watch a group of players come together, grow, go through some tough times, improve, and kick some ass. 
Like, it was rewarding to watch this team limp off the floor in Las Vegas after losing to BYU and Arizona State and walk off the floor having lost at home to Nebraska to then watch them pour water on each other and celebrate after beating Baylor to go to the Sweet 16 and watch them make it all the way to the Elite Eight. That's rewarding to watch a team do that, to watch a team fight through it, come out better. Right? And man, when Baylor Shireman stole that pass and made that layup with 32 seconds left in the Elite Eight against San Diego State to tie it at 56... Man, it is hard to describe that feeling, isn't it? It is incredible. And I'll say this, and maybe I'm alone in this. What's, a, what's, what's weird is I actually feel like this group of players, Nemhard, Alexander, Kalkbrenner, Shireman, like I feel like this group of players has another level to take it to. You know when you watch a team and and you kind of go, man, I think this team is capped. Like, they have maxed. Like, I feel like this team could even get better. Like, I feel like there's more there. Let's not say I was disappointed completely with them. I was not at all. I love this team, and I thought they had a great year. But I, I watch them, I'm like, man, I think they could take it up a notch. Because, man, they would show flashes. A game here, a game there, a stretch here, a stretch there of how scary good they could be. But I'm not sure they sustained it for a long period of time. And man, if this group comes back, this core, and takes that that next step up to that next level and finds a way to sustain it, which I think is largely about better bench play and bench production and more three-point shooting. But if this group comes back and taps completely into that, sustaining it, taking it up a level, look out. And that is saying something because this group went to the Elite Eight. Hopefully, this core group comes back and we all get to see part three, the trilogy of this core group, take another run at it. I loved watching this Creighton team play, and any way you slice it, they are etched in history as this season ends. The 2022-2023 Creighton Blue Jays went further than any Creighton team has ever gone in the NCAA tournament. They went to the Elite Eight. And yeah, I was talking to Josh Dotzler the, Dotzler the other day, and I, I, said, I said this to him. You know, when I was a captain and and the leader of the Creighton basketball team back in 2007, 2008, I felt an enormous amount of pressure and responsibility to not only grow the program and improve the program, but maybe most importantly, I just didn't want to screw it up. I didn't want to mess up what so many players before me had worked their ass off to build up. And I'm telling you, that pressure drove me. 
I was motivated by that as much or more than anything else individually for myself. I had such love and respect and admiration for Kyle Korver, Ben Walker, Rodney Buford, Mike Lindeman, Brody Darren, Ryan Sears, Larry House, Anthony Bowden, Tyler McKinney. I could go on and on, but you get the point. I had so much respect for those guys and what they had built up. I felt that burden and that privilege for it to be my turn in taking care of the program. And even though my time has come and gone, that feeling I had, that pressure and honor, is never too far removed from the surface of my basketball soul. And when I see the new caretakers of the Creighton program take it, own it, grow it, and improve it and take it to heights it's never been, I just get so damn proud. Because for as much as things have changed with Creighton basketball, and they've changed, boy, from five bucks for an Arby's roast beef sandwich for pregame meal at Evansville to playing in the Big East, playing in Madison Square Garden, and now being in the Elite Eight, We used to rent minivans on the road. We didn't take a bus up to the game. Like, we'd be playing at Northern Iowa. We didn't ride, you know, we wouldn't have a bus take us to the game. We'd have, like, four four Dodge Caravans. This is a real story. We, we'd be, that's how we rolled on, uh, on road games. We'd, like, it was bizarre. We'd, like, fly into Wichita, but then we'd all get, like, Dodge Caravans. Like, there'd be four Dodge Caravans, and, like, the coaches would drive it. We'd pile in. That's how we'd go to games. We'd get five bucks, go to McDonald's to have a pregame sandwich, whatever. That, that, that's, that's the shit that I remember. And so I think about that, and I think about where this group's at now and where this program's at now. And so for as much as things have changed, It's changed, and the program is in a different place, but it still feels the same when you're around it. That that's The essence is still there. And I think it's because of that feeling for me. And I think a lot of it is Greg McDermott, and he's really connected all the past, the present, everything in between. But it still feels the same because I think of this feeling I'm talking about, that, that burden, that pressure, that honor to not screw it up, to grow it, to pass it along to the next group. To, to It's their turn. Don't screw it up, but take it up a level. This program is bigger than one person or one group, but it's every person's and every group's responsibility to maintain the program at the very least and ideally leave it better than when you found it. And this group, Ryan Kalkbrenner, Trey Alexander, Ryan Nemhard, Baylor Shireman, Arthur Kaluma, that core, they have done that. And those guys should be so damn proud of themselves. Because as someone who once upon a time 
was a captain and in charge of the Creighton program, I know I am so proud and so appreciative of who they are, how they play, what they've done, and how they do it. 2022-2023 Creighton basketball team. Hell of a season. Major salute and cheers. A Heard at Sports Network production.